0: Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Just Crack Crackin' Egg. You want to talk about great production value? How about a legit, hot, fluffy breakfast scramble that's packed with all your favorite ingredients? It's called Just Crackin' Egg, and all you have to do is add a fresh egg over their hearty ingredients, then stir, microwave, and enjoy any day of the week. It takes less than two minutes to make. Find all seven varieties of Just Crack Crackin' Egg in the egg aisle. I need
1: sports to have to clear the room.
0: Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me here in the Gem Saloon, it's Allison fucking Herman. It is always an honor <laughs> to be on this show,
2: but it is especially an honor to be here talking about this particular show or rather, made for TV movie. Yeah.
0: Should should I have said fucking Alison Herman? It's like, it's so hard to decide where to put the profanity when you're talking about Deadwood. I'm sure David Milch
2: would have, like, a very emphatic opinion about which expletive you should attach to my name and in what (laughs) order, but I'm impartial. Okay,
0: well, however you want to be known, uh, Alison is here to talk to me today about Deadwood colon the movie, I guess, is what we're calling this? Yes,
2: apparently... The original title was Deadwood colon Statehood. Oh, was it really? Yeah, I was just reading a review that said Milch had, that was the provisional title he'd attached to it. And then HBO was like, we need to go more literal minded here, which well, seems like... It a- took a
0: while for them to make this. So I bet there at some point it was like Deadwood colon Fallout and Deadwood <laughs> colon Rise of Deadwood. Deadwood Ghost Protocol. Yeah, exactly. Deadwood Electric It Googlu. is kind of a rotation. All right, so... Let's set the scene a little bit here. Uh, Later on, Jason Gallagher is going to join me, and we are actually going to talk about Jason's visit to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So I'm excited for that. But I am very excited to talk to Allison about this because she wrote a great piece on The Ringer, kind of outlining the legacy of Deadwood and the current state of um, the players involved in Deadwood. If you're not familiar with Deadwood... Obviously, this will be a short podcast for you, but for those of you who need a little bit of a refresher course, this was a show that aired from 2004 to 2006. It, along with Sopranos, is one of those lighthouse shows that beamed out over the dark ocean of television and was like, you can do this and change TV. It is the definition of a cult show, I think, in a lot of ways. A lot of people, basically, most of the people I know who have ever seen this show hold it very near and dear to their heart. Uh... And it is inimitable in a lot of ways, even though the format of it, I think, has been replicated, like the idea of like a bunch of rogues in a historically specific uh, setting. I don't think you could ever really capture what made this show so magical. And now, what, 19, 13 years later?
2: Yeah, 2006 to 2019. 13
0: years later, they have tried. I will say Deadwood is probably the first season of Deadwood, I think, is the best season of television I've ever seen. This is one of my favorite shows. And I was never one of these people who was who felt robbed by it. its disappearance. You know, I mean, it, this was a little bit more like you talk about in your sh- in your piece, Allison, how how things happened back then. Shows got canceled. Now, Deadwood's one of the only prestige huge big-ticket shows to not get its ending.
2: Right. It's one of those shows that is kind of the last remnant of a bygone era of television. Weirdly, I think Lost is almost an interesting comparison and in that Lost was one of like the last shows ever made where they did the network plotting thing of like, we don't know how long this is going to go on, so we're just going to make stuff up as we go because sure. we have to because we don't know when this is going to end. But it was one of the first shows that people treated like it had a master plan in place, right? which obviously led to some misunderstandings between creator and audience, but it's a really interesting Like fixed moment in time where TV was changing and people's expectations of it were changing, but the work itself hadn't quite caught up. And yet, and now Deadwood is like one of the last shows that achieved its level of critical and cult acclaim that got the classic cancellation narrative. It was always a tortured production. It was never that well watched, and it was just before a network like HBO would just be like, "Well, people like it, so we'll give it one more season to pad out its run." and We'll feel good, and David Milch will feel good and we'll be able to work with him on future projects. It was like a classic just autocratic network
0: uh, meddling. I mean, the story that sort of emerged more and more clearly over the most the last it, it had been talked about, I think a bunch Ste and Wall talked about it. Maybe last summer or whenever he was doing like that rewatch, I think was that was that on yeah Pop Rocks? it was
2: it's Deadwood rewind, and it was actually very helpful because sure. I was re-watching in the in the lead up to this, and I would just like pull up one of his re yeah and it
0: was those were great pieces, but he alluded to it. I think W. Earl Brown is one of the actors on the show, uh, talked about it. but the, basically the idea was in in almost deadwoodian fashion. There had been talks about not bringing it back for season four or if bringing it back in season four, bringing it back with a shortened episodic order, episode order. And Timothy Oliphant, uh, who had been renegotiating his contract and successfully renegotiated his contract along with Ian McShane. Those two are pretty much the leads of the show. They had renegotiated during the shooting of season three got back pay and figured, okay, my new deal kicks in for season four. Oliphant went out and bought a house. This is back in 2006 or whatever. He went out and bought a house that was probably a the jump off. Be- <laughs> the
2: best time to buy a house was definitely in 2006, <laughs> immediately before <laughs> the subprime mortgage hey, crisis. That's right. Honestly, if it wasn't going to be Deadwood, it would have
0: been TARP. So True. don't worry about it. Uh, so Oliphant is about to buy this house or has bought this house and talks to Milch. And Milch's like Milch is like, not for nothing but maybe don't buy that house because we're not even going to have a show. Oliphant allegedly told his agents this and his agents leaked it to the trades. The trades published Deadwood canceled and HBO, then run by Chris Albrecht, I guess, uh, either felt like their hand was forced or like the cat was out of the bag or whatever, went through with the cancellation. And a couple of years later, you know, Oliphant's unjustified and Ian McShane goes on to 10 years of, of wonderful, if, uh, if somewhat handy. Ian McShane
2: went on to Kings on NBC. That's right. <laughs> an incredible cult show that's if there right. ever was one. And so
0: many actors and actresses from the show have gone on to do great character work and great starring roles. Molly Parker, Kim Dickens. I mean, the John Walls. Anna Hawks, Gunn. Anna Gunn went to Breaking Bad. This was literally the uh, Hall of Fame of Character Actors and also launched a dozen careers. Milch's story since the last episode of Deadwood in season, the last episode of season three of Deadwood is a little bit more checkered. John from Cincinnati has to have, if you're a defender of John from Cincinnati, like say Rob Harvilla is, at least in out of curiosity.
2: And Sean Fennessey, I believe. I
0: mean, on the surface, everything about John from Cincinnati is fascinating except for actually watching John from Cincinnati. It's like, that's the chore, you know? Um, did Did you ever watch that?
2: All time San Diego show, oh, I believe. <laughs> are, you def- are you? Are you? <laughs> not really. I mean, you're you're totally right. It's just it's fascinating to watch like David Milch dialogue try to work in the region of the country perhaps least likely to ever produce yeah, someone not a naturally lot of Shakespearean speaking. riffs going on in San Diego. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. Um, if you John for Cincinnati, I'm not even sure if it's on HBO Go. Like I don't. It's I don't know if it's one of those shows which is somehow not available. Yeah, but I, haven't I would highly recommend any milch heads out there or want, like soon to be milch heads go on youtube there is a video if you just write like milch john from cincinnati explanation it's basically this like i don't know like pretty long like maybe 20 minute video of david milch standing in a parking lot in a motel <laughs> wherever they're shooting this thing and the cast in various stages of being in costume so some people are like wearing uggs And then others are, like, in full John from Cincinnati costume. And it's Milch with these pages doing a long monologue about what the monologue means. So he'll read a line of dialogue, and then he'll be like, and this guy, he's saying cave paintings. He's saying, I see an image, therefore I actualize my my existence. And it's, like, this amazing New York riff about, like, you know— the the Plato cave myth or whatever and it's it's incredible so if you haven't seen Johnson's yeah. Daddy I was going to
2: bring this up later but uh, something that the Deadwood movie and the whole saga around it reminds me a lot of is Twin Peaks, another, you know, yeah, yeah, pre-Golden yeah. Sure. Age story of cancellation gets brought back in a different form and a lot of it is about, like, the passage of time and how age has actually affected these people, but also, there is just an amazing trove of Twin Peaks YouTube ephemera that's just, like, David Lynch being David Lynch. Yes. And this sounds like it's very yeah. much in the same You talking about,
0: there was recently, uh, I don't know if it was, like, a uh, just a couple of images or if there's actually a video, but it's Lynch directing kids, like children, on Twin Peaks The Return set. And he's like, no, be more scared. And it's like, I don't even know what the scene was Have you it. seen
2: the one where he's like throwing a temper tantrum that they don't have enough shooting days? And he's like, no. I can't fucking work like this. Just oh my like, God, people- he, bro- he oh, breaks, huh? Oh yeah. Well, in real life, David Lynch swears a lot. But anyway, we're getting like heavily sidetracked. Okay, but- we'll,
0: we'll save it for Lynch talk. Uh, so, John from Cincinnati, he does luck. I am a big luck fan, um, but luck was canceled because too many horses died while shooting the second season. Yeah, so that's a that, pretty good reason. That's a Dustin Hoffman, Nick Nolte show uh, from like five, six years ago. It's was that 2011. Him? 2011? Remember, yeah. Wow. Um, so that came and went. He uh, has a couple of other scripts out there. First of the Ninth is one that I read on the dark web, which is like a cop show that I thought was really cool. That never got made. He wrote a script called The Money, which is suspiciously a lot like Succession. And I and believe they actually that shot pro- the pilot. Yeah, it was yeah. produced. Yeah, they shot a pilot for that, but that's about a Murdoch-style media family. It,
2: it, I feel like Milch's execution would be very, very different from a guy who's worked with Armando Iannucci yes, But yes.
0: I'm still curious. So the reason why I am sort of outlining all this history aside to just set the table is that David Milch has a very particular way of working. And Deadwood had a very particular way of being made. A lot of it involved Milch arriving on set with, according to Ian McShane, hot off the printer dialogue. You know, like, warm pages. Not even arriving on set.
2: Like, there were stories where he would just cloister himself on set and just come out with a new monologue that actors then had to nail, like— Immediately. And back
0: when when Deadwood was still going, Mark Singer of The New Yorker wrote a piece about how he writes, which is essentially lying on the ground because he has a really bad back with like a monitor over him and a group of people sitting around him as he talks out all the dialogue from all the parts in the script and does revisions and this amazing, I think Singer describes it as like watching a seance Kind of process. It's like
2: Miltonian. Like Milton would just speak out Paradise Lost, apparently, and his daughters would transcribe it. And
0: it led to some brilliant things. Like, obviously, I'm deeply affectionate about this show, but it also led to some confusing things, like plot points that didn't totally track or.
2: Yeah, I did a rewatch recently and Wyatt Earp just like shows up and then leaves. (laughs) Does he? Yeah, in the third season, <laughs> oh, he shows up with his brother, great. and the brother is the dude who is John from Cincinnati. Oh, and they yeah. literally show up and are like, We have a timber stake. And Bullock's like, I don't think you're up to any good. And Al is like, I don't think you're up to any good. And then they're like, You're right. And then they leave. And then that's it.
0: <laughs> so the reason why I'm sort of outlining all this is that the narratives around the show and the meta narrative, like the sort of meta conversation about the show, Uh, have almost overtaken the actual Deadwood the movie. This this movie that they made after years of false starts and false hope, they make a two-hour, basically, film to say goodbye to this project. And in the course of promoting this uh, movie, it's reported that David Milch has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and that he has been fighting this, I think, since 2015 is when he got Yeah,
2: which is essentially when conversations started about making the movie. Right.
0: Um, And you can't help but view... The movie itself almost entirely through that lens. Well,
2: it's I wrote about this in the piece, but Deadwood itself has always been very open to a meta reading. Another thing that came out in the um, through W. Earl Brown and other actors in the rewind series that Steppenwald did was that Milch was pretty apparently transparent about the presence of George Hurst who is this, like, uber-capitalist, just arch-villain Dracula person, Yeah, uh, being kind of a proxy for HBO, and his struggles with, like, the messy but well-meaning denizens of Deadwood as a scrappy collective was meant to be, like, HBO versus Deadwood the show. And Hearst, of course, was given Milch's back problems, like, within the actual, like, content of the show, and just... Deadwood has always been a pretty meta narrative, and so it opens itself up to, you know, if we can just talk about the actual movie now, like, Al Swearengen is ill, and yes. the central figure who is arguably the soul of the show, Ian McShane gives, like, one of the best performances that has ever been on television, is kind of out of commission and diminished and not really able to do the finger on the pulse, finger in every pie kind of thing that he's always done as the de facto mayor of this, like, town. Yeah. And it's, to me at least, pretty clearly supposed to be Milch writing himself and his current state into this, you know, seminal work that's probably going to his legacy. And
0: I, I think that, I would say two things. One is that if you've only experienced Ian McShane somehow, and you're still listening to this, if you've only experienced him through, like, John Wick and American Gods, uh, you're missing out. Because even in this diminished... In, in like enforced diminished state that he's in, his swear engine has so much more like sinewy, like kind of energy, kind of pointing and grousing and leaning over and being jaundiced and being like coughing and uh, it's well, just and he's it's such a fighting. physical performance, he's not, yeah, yeah. Whereas like a lot of the times in his more recent like. I'm going to walk on stage and say, Jonathan, you know, to John Wick. Yeah, it's he is pretty, like
2: gravitas personified. Yeah, it's he's fun pretty to watch glazed him get in dirty. those movies, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, as far as the movie itself goes, I guess when we talk about it now, I thought it was really, I, I was so happy to be back in this place with these characters, hearing these words. I definitely thought it was way more of a reunion than a resolution. Absolutely. Uh, which was okay because I didn't, I didn't need to know how they got off the island. You know what I mean? I didn't need to know who the Night King really was. And or Deadwood is not a plotty
2: yeah. show. Yeah. Like, first of all, it's based on real history. Deadwood is a real place. Obviously, George Hearst is a real person, and so actually are Alan Seth Bullock. But, you know, you can, like, look on Wikipedia what happened to sure. South Dakota. It is clearly still a part of the union. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they made it. <laughs> it's It's just never been a show that is very much about, like, what's going to happen to these people, right. nor is it a show interestingly I think given to the compressed plotting of a movie like Mm -hmm. Deadwood is a hangout it's like I know all these people I just want to kind of sit and watch them interact because David Milch writes them in such a compelling way and the interactions between them in such a compelling way and that's not really a like let's squish this all into two hours it's not a very compressed type of story Mm -hmm. so I, I definitely think the movie is the most rewarding if you go in knowing the limitations of the form relative to what makes Deadwood, Deadwood. And also, you know, we talked about Milch's writing process. Apparently HBO insisted on a locked script for this. And
0: I think you can sort of, and you alluded to this in your piece, and we've talked about this, like you can kind of feel the handbrake on. Uh, There are some incredible one-liners, some beautiful speeches. Swear engine sign-off is incredible. Uh, But it doesn't feel as much, like as much of a fever dream. Um, as the first three seasons, and especially the first two seasons, I think, do. Um, it feels a little bit like the first version that he came up with and that they decided to say, this is the best we got right now. It's so hard to schedule Molly Parker and Timothy Oliphant and Ian McShane for the time that we have them. We have to go. And you don't have the time to be like, I've I've written a new monologue for Trixie. You know, you just have... Uh, Call Malcolmson for one day or six days or however much. So I think you can feel that. I would you would you say that if you didn't know that? about the script being locked, would you feel like there was a difference in execution this time around?
2: Yeah, I think the dialogue is noticeably plainer, for lack of a better word. It's just much more like how normal people communicate meaning to each other. Sure. There are also certain, like, structural devices that Old Dead would never use. For example, there are a lot of flashbacks that are edited, in my opinion, like, pretty clumsily and choppily just to tell you, like, where we left these people. And you include things like expository dialogue. Like, her shows up and tells Al, you know, 10 Years ago, you told me you killed the whore who shot me, which is the <laughs> yes. like really wrenching events of the actual finale. And now I've I've realized that's not the case. And actually it was Trixie, and she's clearly alive and well and very pregnant. Yeah. And that's just not the kind of here's what's happening, let me recap it for you. That obviously is very common in television as a whole, but never really was a part of
0: Deadwood. And that's where you get into a little bit of the uh, real life versus Deadwood life thing because I don't necessarily think that the events in this movie nec- really needed to happen 10 years after the end of Deadwood except to account for the aging of the actors. So, I mean, really, it's a retread of season three with Charlie Utter being subbed in for Ellsworth
2: yeah, a lot of the dynamics. It's it's like Hearst comes in. He's this all-encompassing power that no one can really stand up against. He's also sort of synonymous with the onset of modernity and the incorporation of Deadwood into the Union and the connection to the outside world with the trains. And so this you Know very symbolic figure comes mm-hmm. in and is like, I, my interests are directly at odds with a person who kind of symbolizes what makes the town special the and wildness. unique, yeah, yeah. And he railroads over that person, and then uh, Bullock responds in a way that is very impulsive and not necessarily all that strategic. And then Al kind of reins him in, but Al also can't, you know, is vi- unused to not being able to fix things sure. and. It just feels like this microcosm of De- of Deadwood and the conflicts that defined especially its its later right. seasons in a way that I think is definitely intentional and is very interesting, but also does feel like, you know, it's not really moving all these characters into a new place. It's showing them in the same place 10 years later.
0: Yeah, yeah and I, I couldn't help—after you watch the, sh- the movie, if you go back and look, and there's been a lot of really great interviews and great writing. Timothy Oliphant's been very articulate about his experience both on the movie and on the show— from before you know from from 13 years ago and it's interesting to kind of hear him talk there was one quote that really jumped out at me which was you know he had been pretty he gets asked about he was getting asked about the Deadwood movie a lot or Deadwood reunion a lot and he would always kind of be the most sort of cold water of all the cast I think he would sort of be like uh you know probably not I, I wouldn't get my hopes up And you can kind of start to see what he was talking about in watching the movie. Because one of the things things that Oliphant said was, after more time went by, I became interested in doing Deadwood again, but I was more interested in doing more episodes than in doing a movie. You mean doing another season? Yeah, I was always like, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And I think he was saying that to Zoller sites. but I mean, he on said,
2: to Seppenwall in an interview that they did apparently like on the set yeah. of Deadwood the movie literally says my attitude towards a movie of Deadwood would be what's the fucking point? Right. Like, this is an episodic show. This is how David Milch writes. It doesn't make any sense to try to compress it. And it was really interesting to watch someone be that transparent about the limitations of what they're doing, even like as they are literally doing it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think his performance as Bullock is any diminished or, you know, it doesn't feel like he's half-assing it at all. It's a great performance. Yeah. It's just interesting to watch someone be that open about the A little bit of real Givens in
0: this Bullock this time around. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Like the, one of the cool things about Deadwood the first time around was Seth was not a sheriff with all the answers and was not, like, often what would be so frustrating, I mean, I mean frustrating on the part, like, I felt frustration for the characters was the way in which this, their actions were often, like, checkmated by other people's plans, you know, Mm -hmm. so Bullock, it wasn't a traditional, like, a dirty guy trying to go straight or a lawman trying to leave behind the badge. It was really, it was much more nuanced than that. But Bullock was often stymied by people like Hearst, by people like Al, even by people like Farnham, who would get in his way in in little ways. So, to watch him sort of be this Clint Eastwood character in this episode in this movie was it was an interesting variation on on where he had kind of come from.
2: Totally, but you also get that same dynamic he's always had, where he lets a mob get pretty close to killing yes, Hearst, yeah. and then he sees all, which is as a like... very
0: you know a good callback to the first episode ever, where he basically hangs a guy in front of a lynch mob for justice so yep. that they can't do it. I mean, it, there were nice echoes throughout. Was there any particular plot line or moment in the movie that really j- jumped out at you as like as special outside of it just being like, oh, cool, there's so-and-so and so-and-so?
2: Trixie's resolution is really satisfying to see. It's nice to see, you know, her and Saul end up together. And also, that was a plot line that really encapsulated this is more of a reunion than a movie. It literally single-handedly squishes together all these events that you associate with big TV events. Like, there's a marriage, there's a birth, there's a, you know, passing away of, maybe, not confirmed, of the father figure. Um, but, you know, we have so much pent up in Trixie, and she's just such an amazing figure mm-hmm. in the context of the show. Like, um, I my uh, friend and former colleague, Judy Berman, wrote an incredible piece for Time about how Deadwood has always distinguished itself among the Prestige series. Is it's a show about men in power, but it understands that to tell that story, it also needs to have women yeah. and contrast them in really important ways. And one of those figures is Alma, who, you know, Literally owns a bank but isn't invited to this important meeting of the town leaders that happens in season three. But Trixie is just, you know, she's so important to Al. She's so important to Saul and sort of, you know, she's also important to the books. She's so important to Alma. She really ties all these people together. She's kind of the soul of the show. And just watching her— you know, get this conventional resolution in some ways, but she's also given away by her former pimp on her wedding day. It was, sure. You know, it, I, I let myself feel the like, oh, it's so great to just watch these people get a kind of qualified happy ending. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was it was wild to watch Al essentially bestow the swear engine crown onto Trixie, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that he she's going to get to run uh, his his saloon and turn it into a dance hall if she wants and. You know, we talk so much about intellectual property on this on this uh podcast in kind of flippant ways sometimes, but this was really the intellectual property of of one person you know despite i might I understand what kind of work it takes to make a show, but I don't think that there's any version of Deadwood that doesn't involve David milch in, as its key voice so it was it was wild to see even these uh faints towards. Edward goes on, if only in our imagination where you're just like, no, I mean, this is really the goodbye letter from the creator of this of this masterpiece. So it was, it, was, it was confrontational about reboot culture and reunion culture and feel-good culture while also, I think, satisfying on a lot of levels.
2: Yeah, I mean, bringing it back to Twin Peaks The Return, which is very similar to me, it's from a creator who at that point hadn't released anything like feature length or longer in 11 years. It felt like a summation of a career. It also felt in a lot of ways like a swan song. Like, I I feel pretty comfortable in guessing that we're not going to get a full-length project from either of these, you know, hallowed prestige TV Davids ever again. And it's got that same feeling of like satisfaction, but also melancholy. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm so glad this finally happened and we have a chance to reflect on this show that has always been like a weird hanging chan.
0: Yeah, I would, ref- I would really encourage people to re-watch it if they haven't, because it's it's one of the most re-watchable shows precisely because it doesn't matter what happens. Watch and, it with the subtitles on. And you've watched it with the subtitles on and you can just live inside of it because that's the way I think it was meant to be enjoyed in the first place. As Oliphant has pointed out multiple times where he's like, this was never a show about plot. Like it was about hanging out with the characters. So you can go back and just kind of it was also funny to see some characters and remember oh yeah back in like 2004 if I wasn't interested in like a plot line I would read a magazine while it was on or something you know like it was like a little less like now or you're trained like I can't bear to look away lest I miss like a key piece of canonical information (laughs) I was like oh yeah that guy I hate that guy (laughs) you know I mean I I remember I think it was from season 3 Steve uh, the guy the 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 disgusting guy who worked in the livery. Steve the Drunk. Steve the Drunk. I would often just sort of who, skip, skip Steve scenes. You by know? the
2: way, is... Healy the prison guard from Orange yeah. is the New Black which yeah. I totally did not realize but I mean also I don't know if I've ever told you this but Deadwood is literally like my prestige TV origin story it oh, is really? how yeah my my dad you know speaking of throwbacks to how we used to watch TV in 2004 and my speaking dad, of San
0: Diego yeah. yes
2: <laughs> my dad would get like physical DVDs from Netflix and he's an academic so he has like a weird flexible job that would allow him to watch TV at like 4 in the afternoon on a weekday and I would just kind of wander in because it was the living room and I could hear that something was on and I'd just like it's sit like, on the on other side country? (laughs) And I would sit on the other side of the couch, and I think I was, like, just old enough that my dad was, like, the effort it would take to, like, chase this child out of the room is more than, like, the damage that would be done. Sure, plus he could call (laughs) it,
0: quote-unquote, Shakespearean. Exactly.
2: So... It was like the first TV show I remember, like prestige TV show. I remember watching with like that level of seriousness. My dad like telling me why it was like good and interesting TV, and it became the the gateway drug. How old were you? I was like twelve.
0: <laughs> wow! So there's a, that was probably the first time you had heard some of those words. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was a, I was a worldly twelve year old. Oh, uh, Allison from Cincinnati. You never know, right? Um, yeah. Any other final notes on on this movie itself? Uh. I'm glad it existed. I'm glad that they were able to get everybody together for this. I wish it had been either four or six episodes. I wish it had been 10. I wish they had just kept making the show. They didn't... It's not that big of a deal. We have the, the first three.
2: But it's so nice to wish that something went on for yeah. longer for once, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah, and it, it seems like it meant a lot to the people involved doing it. And obviously, if you get a chance, they are pretty... You know, they take a lot out of you to read these pieces, but Matt Zoller cites his piece on the making of the show, and it's I believe that's where... Milch first publicly talks about his uh, Alzheimer's and Mark Singer's um, piece in New York, in New Yorker, which is about, I don't know, like a 1500, 2000 word opener and then a back and forth with Milch, which is. Tough sledding at points because it's pretty It's pretty in the shit yeah, the shit. It's with him. a man yeah.
2: coming to terms with his own decline, yeah, which it, is like the New Yorker does not run Q&As really as a practice. Yes. And you can see why they made an exception. Yes.
0: So uh, really a remarkable voice in the history of television. And if you don't know a lot about him, I would really highly recommend getting to know more. Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Acorn TV, the creator of the hit series Bodyguard. Once again, has the UK's number one show of the year, Line of Duty. This thing is really good. I'm going to talk about it on the pod soon. It's got an all-new season streaming exclusively on Acorn TV. Acorn TV streams British and international crime dramas, psychological thrillers, and mysteries for just $5.99 a month. Line of Duty is a cat-and-mouse thriller that takes a probing look into modern police corruption with gripping storylines and breathtaking cliffhangers. Each new season features a new guest star in Investigation. Stars like Lenny James of The Walking Dead, Thanny Newton of Westworld, and this year's Stephen Graham of Boardwalk Empire have appeared. In addition to Line of Duty, Acorn TV streams fan favorites like Doc Martin and Midsummer Murders, as well as Acorn TV originals you can't stream anywhere else, including Agatha Raisin, Loch Ness, and Manhunt. Stream every episode of Line of Duty, including the newest season, now exclusively on Acorn TV. And then enjoy all of Acorn TV's top-rated British dramas and mysteries for free with an extended 30-day trial. Just go to acorn.tv slash watch and use the code WATCH. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Sharp Objects on HBO. Yeah, Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects is based on the best-selling novel by Gillian Flynn. The story focuses on Camille Preaker, a journalist with a history of psychiatric issues who returns to a rural hometown to cover the apparent murders of two preteen girls. The limited series was hailed by critics as exquisite, hauntingly compelling, and a true masterpiece for your Emmy consideration in outstanding limited series and all other categories. Visit hbo.com fyc for more on Sharp Objects. Now it is my distinct pleasure to bring on one of my favorite people in the world. Wow. Emmy award-winning video producer and director... <laughs> Kind of a, kind of like the Sam Esmail of NBA videos for us. I think that's a very niche uh, market, but I'm I'm happy to. This is it. Jason Gallagher. Yeah, Gallagher. You know, I mention I probably throw out Gallagher's name as much as anyone on this show. Gallagher and my wife. Uh, <laughs> one of the issues that I have with Gallagher is that he believes in. He's a little bit of a child supremacy complex. I do. Where, you know, a movie or a TV show is good or bad based on his son's appreciation of it. Right. Now, he's got very nuanced tastes. Jason and I share a lot of share, like, shared passions. Yes. But sometimes with movies and stuff like that, like, <laughs> Jason's son will be like, I'm into Solo. And Jason will be like, because my son is into Solo, it makes it a good movie. And I'm just like, that's not how this works. And you're completely, completely baffled by the fact that, like, my son
1: has a smile on his face, and right. it affects me, and you're just like, yeah, but so But the second mine? act didn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. So, Grimwald <laughs> thinks I'm a monster for this take. I'm surprised you're still friends with me, but <laughs> to call this an olive branch. Okay, great. Uh, but more so, I wanted to exploit your relationship with your son because you took yes. your kid to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Opening day. Tell me a little bit about, like, okay, so... You guys, I know it went through a very long ticket process to to get into this to this amusement park. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is the new Disneyland section d- yeah, dedicated to Star Wars. Yeah. At what point did, did your son like become sentient about the possibility of going to Galaxy's Edge? Like how long has he been like I heard from a kid in school? Yeah. What what's the deal? Well, um
1: we we are annual pass holders to Disneyland, so we go okay. and they've been sort of, you know, keeping the the new land. You get up. a newsletter. Yeah. Whatever. Well, we get emails <laughs> and sure. then we get, um, but also it's, it's all over the park and there's like a specific section of the park. I remember the first time we ever went, uh, there's a big painting that shows the land and it's like coming next year. I think this was like a year and a half ago. And my son saw it and was like, what is that? Right. And so I explained it to him and then yeah, we we actually held back telling him that we were gonna go when we went right. until only a few days before, right? Um, because the last thing you want to do is something pop up. And right. we he was yeah. was he like cool or was he like I just got drafted number one? Uh, it took some explaining. I was like, "We're going to Galaxy's Edge," and he was like, "Sweet." And, and then <laughs> and then I was kind of like, and then I was like, no, "No, no, but like you're gonna ride the Millennium Falcon." And then he was just like. Wait wait what? Like pause Did his really brain quick. break yeah, for a second. He was like what do you mean ride it? And then we just talked. And then he started to sort of make up things uh where he was just like telling my wife and I and his friends like, "Yep, and then I'm going to go uh probably fight Kylo Ren." And we're like, "Wait." <laughs> <laughs> he was just like making this stuff up. And I was like, "I don't think that's going to happen, but that's fine." Like That's for that. That seems like it might be a higher age bracket to get into a
0: saber fight with Kylo Ren. <laughs> right. And
1: then and then he um he had heard we were kind of like reading material on it online and there's a place where it's like build your own droid and this is kind of a funny story he was like um there's a section where you can build a droid it's like it's pretty expensive but whatever and uh so he's really excited about the the possibility of this and then we walk in and it's very clearly not a real droid it's still really cool it's remote control it's probably like two feet high but he thought real droid and when he saw that oh, he was like the man. hell is this this is a
0: toy i'm gonna make <laughs> your son a droid called the downer droid yeah. that just rolls into the room and goes do you know that there were second act problems with solo <laughs> what is this character's main motivation <laughs> okay friday rolls around you guys go out to anaheim that's right give me uh a sense of like you've been to Disneyland a bunch right. what's the like crowd situation like what's the is it pandemonium is it like it's really not terrible okay. um
1: we went in the reservation period cuz they they're,
0: they're kind of doing it like they're only letting so many people in yeah. right okay so for
1: the first month you have to have a reservation and the reservations last for 4 hours Um, And they do a really good job managing it. And from what I can gather, it's basically because they overstaff the hell out of it. Um, Mm. Like, you literally can't walk anywhere without an employee being like, hi, any questions or whatever. Um, So the process of getting in was pretty smooth. And they let uh, each reservation in every three hours. So just a pro tip for anyone who has reservations, the first and last hour are like twice as many people are in the land. And it's really congested. Why the last hour? Um, because it's every three hours.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, there's like there's yeah. like a basically an overlap period where people from the group prior and the right. f- group after. Are and there. the
1: purpose of that is to to make the congestion going in and out of the land during a reservation uh, a lot less um, hectic. I okay. Guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the middle two hours are liddy, Okay. Because there there's half the people in there, and you can just essentially just run around and there's a lot less people.
0: Okay, so you walk in. Yeah. Is there like a narrative to the experience or is it like just like here's a Death Star, here's a Millennium Falcon, no. here is the last scene of Rogue One where you get annihilated by a Death Star. Dog, this this
1: isn't Tomorrowland. <laughs> okay. This isn't your dad's playland. Okay, oh, this I- is like immersive. This is a story. It is technically Star Wars canon. Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge, mm-hmm. and if you want to be up to date on that canon, you have to go to the land. Uh, it takes place between the Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, so you're never really going to see any of those old characters you love because it is it is set intervening in time. years. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it takes place. Uh, Isn't at, that when Mandalorian's supposed to take place after Jedi? I thought so.
0: Yeah, cool. you're the Mandalorian guy. I know. When yeah. when they open Mandalorian land, I'll be there. So <laughs> what is just bounty hunters? I mean, so basically, Me and all the other four year old guys will be psyched.
1: I, I I did think a lot like, will Chris Ryan enjoy this? Would Chris Ryan enjoy this? Because on the one hand, you love Star Wars. On that, on the other hand, you you dislike children and children related things. No, that's not true. Things. I like kids plenty.
0: I do like kids plenty. I just don't think that they. Should have a a preponderance of influence on culture. That's all.
1: You're we're well past that. Okay, it's happening. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, it takes place on a a, on a, a tent, like a black spire outpost is what it's called, mm-hmm. in and in a planet called Batu. Yeah. Right. Which is on the edge of the galaxy. It's been referenced in you know books and movies and things like that. But yeah, essentially, and 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 the only ride there right now is Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Yeah. And. That like there's a whole story there where like Chewie after Last Jedi goes to Batu parks the Millennium Falcon to get it um, repaired or stuff. Oil yeah, yeah, and there's like there's even like nice little Easter eggs. There's like little porg nests around it and th- stuff like that because obviously Last Jedi just happened. And uh, yeah, the ride is like. Is this whole thing where where a character who's uh referenced I believe in the cartoons, his name's Hondo, but he wants to um, take the Millennium Falcon on a smuggler's run hondo hondo yeah, but not okay. not Han Solo. yeah I got, I got it yeah <laughs> my, my son was equally confused. you guys have that one thing in common um, and so yeah, it's really neat and and all the cast members there which are which are is is code for Disney employees yeah right um have backstory and did they tell you the backstory if you want to know it you can ask it and did you no i didn't feel like it but did you hear
0: other people being like so what's your what's your mo man what's your what's your resume
1: i overheard one thing about a guy talking about an experience he had in the in the marketplace okay which which i i couldn't tell the the humorous thing is it leads to sort of some funny situations like they can't really reference the place as a theme park and so when you're like Hey, where's this ride? They yeah. have to be like, I don't know what ride you're talking about, but if you want to do blank, then that's where it is or whatever. I and love so that shit. at one point, um <laughs> that
0: guy is like a he's just going on auditions, man. <laughs> yeah. He's just trying to get a job on on uh, on Animal Kingdom or something. <laughs> so so <laughs> we're gotta do a shift
1: where he's not allowed to be like, yeah,
0: the bathroom's over there.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's what was funny. It was we were so we were trying to find the 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 line, the end of the line for the smugglers run the millennium falcon ride okay and there's lines everywhere to get into the cantina and to build a droid and blah 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 and so we decide to go up to a cast member and we're like hey what is this for and he was like well this is uh this is where you can take your ship uh to like unload cargo and perhaps you can um, commandeer one of these ships and blah 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 and i was like okay so where's the millennium falcon ride and then he was like right here man and i was like oh my god <laughs> you, <laughs> broke
0: him. you broke him on, the on first day, day one yeah he him.
1: looked at me like dude like what is this for you know what i mean was and, your
0: son like dad come on don't be a dick <laughs> no nah, he
1: wasn't really, i mean it's such a distracting thing um i mean there's there's something to look at everywhere okay really so cool.
0: one of the things that you know uh, that's been the lead up to this park opening yeah. a lot of vlogs of like people getting sneak previews yeah a lot of like Lifelong Star Wars fans breaking down in tears when they walk in. How yeah. emotional was it to like walk through the doors? And you know, like I'm I'm being, I, I can imagine it is like somewhat yeah. disarming.
1: It, I mean, it's, it's, it is very, it's, it's on the one, I'm going to be really real. Okay. We walked in the land and Isaac saw a fence and was like, fence, I'm climbing it. And I was like, what the hell, dude? We're, Why? Because he can't help but climb on everything he sees. Oh, okay. And So that's just right. like a natural, it's like, like a, that, gr-
0: a greyhound when he sees a squirrel. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah.
1: no. But when, but the the thing that's emotional. I mean, the whole thing is just incredible. Like there's a whole energy about it that's that's crazy. They kind of heighten like background noise. And Interesting. Like, yeah, it's re- it's you don't notice it until you leave and you walk out and you're like, wow, it's really just quiet out here. Mm-hmm. But the first time you see the Millennium Falcon is genuinely moving. You know, and it's something that. I think is uh, I don't know. Did, I think that you would be moved. Did genuinely? your son get
0: jacked when he saw? Oh yeah. my god, he yeah. lo-
1: he lost his mind. Like he all, it, to the point where it was like, yeah, you know, I told you that first hour is twice as busy. The the wait for it was like an hour and fifty minutes or something. Oh my god, ten, that's see
0: that's tough if it's a four hour yeah thing.
1: So it, it the wait for it was whatever. I talked to a cast member and he was like, I believe you can probably uh you know commandeer this ship. Here in the next couple of hours, when it when the lines die down, I'm like, okay, Cla- Classic smuggler talk. Yeah, I was like, all right, great. Um, what if
0: <laughs> when Obi Wan and Luke were trying to get off Tatooine, they were like. What's the wait time to uh, escape the empire? He's like, I believe I could get it up in a couple of hours. Oh, yeah. I guess he did say that.
1: So so I had to then explain to Isaac that like we should walk around for a little bit. And all he wanted to do is stay near the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole cantina. You can drink alcohol there. It's the only place in the park. We're going to get to the it. food
0: and drink. That's okay. Next. All right. Yeah. So sorry.
1: But anyways, he was like, uh, he was pretty upset. At the idea of, like, not being near the Millennium Falcon. Are, All he wanted to do was be in it or near it. Well, I mean, that's understandable. And we wound up riding it twice because by that second and third hour, the wait had gone down to, like, 30 minutes.
0: So is the ride itself kind of like this other... Because there's a Star Wars ride at Disney, right? Yeah. And it's basically, you're like, you're on a bench and you're looking at a screen and you get shaken a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> that's
0: exactly what
1: it is. <laughs> I'm not trying um, to be a dick. I'm no, just No, but this, but this is... Uh, it's basically what it is. It's a lot more I mean it's 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 a lot cooler and and it essentially you feel like you're in the millennium falcon. And you go into hyperspace, right? And you go into hyperspace or light speed yeah. and they and they give out there's six people per like sort of cabin or mm-hmm. whatever and there's three jobs so there's an engineer, a gunner and a pilot. And um yeah, you get assigned a job and so each what time you? you do it. We did it twice so we were engineers and then we were pilots. Okay. The people who were with us when we were pilots were not very pleased with the fact that a child was a pilot because uh-huh. it really does affect the entire ride. Oh,
0: it doesn't. Does it? Yeah. Does it
1: really? Yeah. And so he's like crashing into stuff and I'm just like, I'm like sitting there trying to help him and, and people are yelling at him, come on, push the button. And I'm just like, five-year-old guys like five-year-old so yeah, there's no
0: lit age requirement for flying a spaceship no but we were not in this world
1: <laughs> not in this world and then um but when we were engineers you know it's it's you sit in the back and you push a lot of buttons to try to fix it or whatever um it's kind of wild because you like you can't watch the
0: screen i gotta tell you something when this when when this goes public yeah and I, I, if I go to this, yeah. and I wait two hours to get on the Millennium Falcon, and yeah. I have to be a fucking engineer. I'm well, not going to be very happy about that. And no, but also, that, that is a if problem. if I get sick because some five year old is like, it would be cool to fly <laughs> into an asteroid, I'm definitely going up to a cast member and be like, give me my
1: money, <laughs> dude. But but that's what that's sincerely like the feeling you get. We were engineers first, and Isaac can't. You know, it's all about the kids. Mm-hmm. And Isaac can't reach some of those buttons. I think it's going to be like a legitimate issue. I love the land. If you're listening, Disney, I love the land. But it is going to be an issue. People wait a long time for this. And if they have to beat engineers to the point where they're pushing buttons but not being able to watch the screen, uh, it's it's pretty, you know. Yeah. And, and and already, on our second pass, already you hear people going up to the people assigning it being like, I want to be a pilot. Already sort of making those demands like, I just waited, like, saw one woman. I waited here for blah, blah, blah. This is my second time around. I don't want to be sitting in the back.
0: Wow. It's sweet.
1: Awesome, yeah. <laughs> so it could, I mean, I don't know I,
0: when it gets like real hot out there yeah. and people have been drinking, and it's like they're and they're like, you have to get they're gonna, what if people blow chunks on the Bullion Falcon because your kid flies into the side of something? I mean,
1: it's, it's a possibility, but Isaac had
0: a great time good. and just That's literally all that matters. didn't. That's literally all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you Chris. I'm just Thank you, Chris. I'm really glad he had such a good time. I want to talk to you a little bit about the food and drink, yeah, because Andy and I talked about this last week uh-huh. um, and I was just kind of fascinated by how how far they could deviate from your typical amusement park fare mm-hmm. while still having like yes this is just a you know a coke don't right. worry about it you know right so what what was the menu for you guys
1: well this is gonna be a little underwhelming but I had three glasses of blue milk holy shit
0: <laughs> are, you, are you
1: in toxic shock right now like <laughs> I'm still wearing off. Um, and I and
0: I had a Coke because every what? I, that's it. <laughs> Wait, so you drank three blue milks, which you described in this wonderful and vlog an, that you put up with your kid you. that people can find on, on YouTube. You said you you're like, this blue milk tastes like candy, and then you washed it down with a Coke. With a Coke, which I haven't had a Coke in over a year. But, like, the bottles are
1: special, so I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, because
0: it's, like, the little droid bottles, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and you could see, there. uh, I mean, like, quick side note, there are definitely people there that day that are, like, there for the eBay that are just, like, one guy walked out with, like, bags of those Cokes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um...
0: That was always kind of, like, you know, I remember when I would go to spring training in Florida, and, like, you know, you'd be waiting for you know darren dalton or somebody or lenny dykstra (laughs) to sign like one baseball card or one ball yeah and then there would be the dude there who had like seven binders full of like glossy eight by tens that he was like can you sign this mr dalton (laughs) so it's like that's kind of corny it's like you're walking out of there with a bunch of merch that you're gonna put on ebay it's super super corny but i i
1: low-key was kind of like it, it psyched me into being like well i gotta get a coke so you
0: brought the coke bottle home yeah, Did you put it on
1: eBay yet? Uh, but no, it's on my son's <laughs> shelf. Okay. We made a little shelf, but yeah, the I I was just all about that blue milk. The lines were short. How for How's the blue milk? I, I mean, it's like I texted you. It's liquid crack. It is. It is like. Um, it's not milky by any means, which I don't know if that's disappointing. <sighs> I, it's to you. not
0: disappointing, but I got the impression. So, like, is it the blue milk that they have that? Luke, Luke drinks yes. for breakfast when yes. he's like, oh, can't even get, maybe yeah, I if will, he drinks they're that break- are
1: never for gonna me. get out of here. If he drinks that for breakfast, holy shit.
0: Yeah, so like I thought that was like celery and like protein powder. No. Bro. That's what that's like in my mind. That's what it's They it try to like
1: they try to lead she's off. she's putting
0: the- all that shit in the in the <laughs> immersion blender or whatever. And they try to
1: lead off the ingredients with like it's rice milk and blah blah blah, but then it's just also like eight
0: pounds of pure sugar, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, blue dye. <laughs> you yeah. know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it's it's got sort of a, a a tiny sort of slushy umness to it, kind of so like it's a actually, virgin
0: pina colada. Kind exactly, of thing. Okay. it's
1: okay. very refreshing. Um, and that's that's a big reason why I got it. But it, it it was it was so good. Okay, it was really really tasty. What's the
0: food like? I, I just told you.
1: That's so all you just got.
0: had three blue milks and a Coke <laughs> for it. four hours while you were at Disneyland. Well,
1: everything had a line and you got to you be gotta. So be you, you didn't have any Bantu it. wraps or any of that stuff? Unfortunately, no. I know. I remember thinking, Chris is going to be so disappointed that I didn't eat in there. But time is, you know, time is my child's money. You know? Okay.
0: Um, I'm trying to think of what else I had for you. Was anybody slammered? <laughs> like, did you see any like... Trashed like dude who had had six like Bantu so. beers <laughs> or whatever.
1: I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think I. Uh, I don't think I saw anybody drunk by any means. I'm trying to think if there's any other stories. Um, not. I mean, not really. I think one of the cool things they do with the characters is they have like Chewbacca and Ray and Kylo Ren sort of walking around, but there's not like a really a meeting place for them. So you have to sort of like you just sort of catch them. Yeah. You know, they kind of are going about their business. Uh huh. Um, so it's like immersive
0: theater. It is immersive yeah. theater. Okay,
1: it, and yeah. So the whole thing is, is. And are
0: they all on singing from the same hymn book about like it's this yes. is a specific time. The first order has arrived.
1: Um, because they are looking right. for something. JJ um,
0: Abrams has rewritten the script from Michael Arndt, <laughs> so we're <laughs> well, not going to re- get the hand falling
1: from space. <laughs> if they are trying to move on from Last Jedi, this world does nothing to help it because they really live in that world. Okay, they really do.
0: Um, did w- are there more rides coming? Is it like yes. is there expansion on the way? Yes, I believe I believe it's called
1: Rise of the Resistance, which is supposed to be its sort of flagship ride okay. not the Millennium Falcon this one is supposed to be the one that people are really really looking forward to and do you think it what's the vibe for that do you have any idea I think it's like um, it's it's like Pirates of the Caribbean oh, like so you go through space. a world yeah and it's like it's supposed to be their like w- I think it's like their most expensive ride ever um, it's it's I Don't quote me on that. I thought I read that. But anyways, it's it's really cool. I um, think it's
0: okay, man. <laughs> if you're wrong, no one's going to get mad.
1: I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry if that's incorrect. But from, from what I can tell, that's the one that everyone's looking forward to. And that's Did like you three months away. Did you witness
0: anybody being like, like salty at you for being able to go in? Like were there other Disney people there? Like Disneyland attendees? Who are like, oh. Yeah, Galaxy's Edge, pretty cool, man. Lot, no, yeah. I didn't see that. A lot of people bought the t-shirts because they had opening day
1: t-shirts. A lot of people bought the t-shirts that definitely did not Well, they were just going to put
0: them on merch, right? On well, eBay, right? I mean,
1: I would think, but yeah, it, it, it was... Um, no one was really mad. And the check-in system was a, was sort of, it was a process, but but it was fine. Okay. It, it was really, it Did was, you guys
0: go to Disneyland after Galaxy's Edge? Did you go over to like yeah, another part I mean, of the Yeah, I mean, you make
1: the drive to Anaheim. You got to make it happen. From the valley. Yeah. You got to do it. Um, and it was actually pretty chill. I think I've some, uh, like, I think it sort of psyched some people out of going. Yeah. so it was very right, chill. Right. But yeah, I'm trying to think of what else was, with Galaxy's Edge. Oh, I,
0: you know I was going to ask? Yeah. Uh, was it annoying that everybody was filming? nah because I was (laughs) no I know I mean like everybody says that like if you're at a concert and you're like I want to take a picture of this but like then you're like all these fucking people with phones like was there just a lot of people making vlogs or a
1: lot of people making vlogs a lot of a lot of like Grown ass men
0: like and subscribe. Yeah,
1: like and so so what you can you can find here is that if you download the Disney Play app, you can, um, which is a thing that apparently is supposed to be super fun. Where if you have this app, there's these little stations, and you can play like weird Star Wars games using it. If okay. you're just hanging, okay. I guess I don't know why you would ever do that, but. You know they're just trying to make it. They're just trying to make it as uh you know make your use your time as as wisely as possible. I guess, but but like so you never have a dead moment. I guess. Yeah. Because every every corner there's something to see or do or whatever.
0: So if, if you if you could, uh, pull from any part of Star Wars lore that you know about, mm-hmm. and create a ride experience to add into Galaxy's Edge, what well, what would it be? Wow, honestly.
1: Shout out Tate Frazier, really quick. Uh, sure. Pod racing. Fuck yeah. That would be cool.
0: A pod racing ride would be. Pretty dangerous. Dope. Well, I guess you could do it with the screen and just what do you like mean shake dope? back and forth. Oh, Dangerous. <laughs> well, I mean, if you actually pod race. Okay. Yeah. Like, let's not <laughs> like actually. Ford versus Ferrari style. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you get some Bulba out there just trying to like. Did
0: you see the Ford versus Ferrari trailer? Yeah. Of course it. Is. Did you see they got Burnfall playing Lee Iacocca? What? Yeah.
1: I missed that. Yeah. I watched it last night before bed. Yeah. It's pretty it looks sick. incredible. I would
0: probably do trash compactor world <laughs> from Star Wars: New Hope. I'm really surprised. To hear I, would, that. I would want to like fall into a chute of trash yeah. with my sister, girlfriend, and Han Solo, yeah. and then have the walls start moving in and yeah. have like a weird thing that was drawing me drawing me down into a, a trash slop, yeah, liquid, and then like have to like get CP3 Piotto. Do C-3po you ever think about
1: why they didn't just like the stormtroopers just didn't start shooting down there? I walk well, cuz
0: if they missed, the the they would bounce off the walls, right? If it just move out of the way. Did they know they were in there? I thought so. Maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember. Who does that? Like in Star Wars, how do they how are they like let's start compacting trash while we're having this prison break? Does does somebody say like they must be in the trash compactor? Crush them? Or is it just like this is a routine while all I this thought it is was routine,
1: I thought it was routine. Just routine maintenance. Le- Leia shoots the hole in it, but the, I guess the stormtroopers, are so st- they didn't see the massive oh, hole. Oh, yes, they
0: did, because they were shooting in the hallway, so they yeah, must have been yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they
1: jumped down there. Yeah, that's, then, that's my whole, that, that okay. was my whole issue with
0: that scene. That would if, mean, it, you know, but you love it. Me? I would do that. I Isaac would, do, would see the holes in that one. I bet. <laughs> I would do that, and I would do... Uh, try and lift an X-Wing fighter out of the mud with your mind. <laughs> But like, you, you how know, do like, you do it? Basically, it would be like you'd make somebody concentrate for thirty seconds, and then it would move. You know? Wow! Yeah. And you just stand there. Yeah, and you'd be like, "You're psychic! Congratulations!" Wow. That'll be eighty eighty dollars. That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Are, uh,
1: we're on on
0: on one to ten. What? How do you want to go? Uh, I would like to go, but I'm not going to go. <laughs> like, I I, I don't want to drive to Anaheim uh, <laughs> to do this. And and I think also like. I really like Disney yeah. World. And do Di- you really? I love Epcot. That's yeah. so off brand for um, you. But it's not, it's not like a bucket list thing for me anymore. It's So I'm going to let, first of all, I got to wait for Rise of the Resistance to open. You got to do that. Second of all, it doesn't sound like I'm in any luck with these reservations. Yeah. Third of all, I've been banned from eBay. So it's no point in me going <laughs> just to get <laughs> Is merch. that real? Because no, I, I have. <laughs> have you really?
1: Yeah. Long Why? story. Uh, I used to work for a computer refurbishing company and. Um, <laughs> You're selling empty computers to people? Yeah, something happened. I don't even remember what happened, but basically, I banned from eBay. Long story short. So, you can't sell any of the things you got anyway? No, and they're really good about like, if you like put another card on or like if they can find any connection to you, they'll be like, no.
0: So sir. the one place where like behavior is being policed on the internet is
1: eBay. <laughs> e- eBay.com. Great. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: glad, yeah. Glad we got that taken. There. The, um, Elizabeth yeah, th- Warren's going to be like, eBay is fine. <laughs> Everything else, break <laughs> it up. Everything else, break up. <laughs> eBay's got it. Break up <laughs> galaxy's <laughs> edge. <laughs> I'm telling you. It,
1: it they, are to this day. So okay, it's been eight years.
0: Glowing reviews from your child.
1: Yes, we loved it.
0: Okay, will you go back again, or are you gonna wait for ri- the rise of the resistance? We'll,
1: we'll wait for rise of the resistance. And I think that the reservation period was the way to do it. Um, okay. I think it's gonna be pretty out of control otherwise. Um, and they've got a whole, a, like a whole other land opening next year too. What do you so, mean? Like it's like Marvel Land is opening next year.
0: Really? Yeah. What's Cal- that gonna be?
1: California Adventure.
0: I guess you go to like Asgard and stuff. I th-
1: I think and Tony's Tony's it, lab Tony's lab is a big thing. The Avengers sort of like um, epicenter. Whatever, whatever. Can you go to World is. War
0: II land for Captain America? Like, what are they <laughs> dude?
1: You would be about that. <laughs> yeah, I
0: really. You would, would be like
1: <laughs> Dunkirk really
0: land for Chris Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> What's the land that you really want to have made? I would fucking really be into Dunkirk land. <laughs> my my land that I uh, t- they could make Dunkirk land on like any beach. You know? I think it ex- it's Europe, right? Yeah, I know, but like I not to disrespect <laughs> what happened in Dunkirk obviously, but I'm just saying like yeah. it would be pretty ill.
1: <laughs> I don't uh I I don't know. My land would be like True Detective land. Carcosa land. No, I'm just kidding.
0: That's just our everyday life. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll probably, Jason will probably be coming on in the coming weeks to talk about The Return of Dark. Oh my God. Which is coming back to Netflix. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend seeing the first season. Also, I think you have to see the first season if you want to watch season two because I'm, I watched the first season religiously and forgot a lot of it in the trailer so all I know
1: is the fits if you want
0: to know why Jason and I dress the way we do it's probably (laughs) because of dark Uh, so you'll hear him again uh, if you have any Star Wars Galaxy's Edge stories send them to the Watch Twitter send them to Chris Ryan yeah 77 and uh, thanks a lot for coming by man thanks man